Welcome to Econ 344's weekly podcast, where we supply the news you demand. I'm your host, Michael, the privatizer, Bingaman, joined alongside my co-hosts, Allison, the externality, Williams, and John, the Phillips Curve, Heafy. On today's podcast, we will cover the topic of Social Security and, more specifically, its sustainability. You may have heard in recent years that Americans are worried about the future of the Social Security system. Due to the aging of the baby boom generation over the next 75 years, the present discounted value of the program's obligations exceeds the present discounted value of the taxes it will collect by $10.6 trillion. Thus, you might wonder, will Social Security eventually cease to exist? If so, when? Further, what reforms would be necessary for it to become a sustainable program? To answer these questions, we are interviewing three experts on the subject today. Professor Cecil Bohannon, Professor Constantine Megan, and Professor Tom Michael. Now I will turn it over to my co-host for an interview with Professor Tom Michael. Thank you, Michael. My name is Allison, the externality Williams, and I'm delighted to introduce our first guest of the day, Professor Tom Michael. Professor Michael holds a PhD from Oberlin College and specializes in macroeconomics and the political economy. He is currently teaching at Colgate University. He has written on social security, including a work entitled Capitalists, Workers, and Social Security, in which he looks at the ideal social security system. Thank you for joining us, Professor Michael. Okay, well, thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. So to start, in your model, the government finances benefits using its end-of-period wealth from a reserve fund and from payroll taxes. Given that the United States is currently operating at a deficit in the social security system, it is relying mainly on the pay-as-you-go system from payroll taxes. Do you think that it is possible to sustain the system without a surplus reserves fund and with only using payroll taxes? Um, yes, it's absolutely possible. If you think about it, a pay-as-you-go system is basically us collectively saying that we're going we're gonna to support our parents when they retire. So if you were doing that privately, you would say that that kind of a system, a pay-as-you-go system, is always going to be sustainable. As long as you have resources, you have income, you should be able to help support your parents. And the same is true of pay-as-you-go systems. Uh, as, as long as this, the economy is functioning, there's income being generated, they can't really go bankrupt. They can't go bankrupt. However, they can get into uh, trouble because the, uh, the taxes aren't sufficient to pay for the promised benefits, at which point, and this has been true historically, there has to be some kind of a, of, of a readjustment uh, probably uh, raising taxes and cutting benefits. Uh, we did that already. We did that in 1983. That was the Greenspan Commission. So it shows that it's politically feasible. And my guess is, based on the projections that the Social Security Administration makes, is that we'll probably have to make some kind of correction well into the future along those lines. But the idea that somehow the money's not going to be there, which is a common misconception, it is a misunderstanding of how a pay-as-you-go system works. So if we had to reform the Social Security system, in your opinion, what do you think this reform would look like? How would we be able to stop this deficit from growing? Well, the, what it would look like, I think, I would go back to the 1983 compromise. Um, that was the Greenspan Commission basically uh, <clears throat> faced a crisis because they, they made various mistakes and they, they, they double-counted inflation and calculating benefits. They made mistakes like that. 
uh, and there was a clear need to have a, uh, a reform, so they, they agreed to raise taxes. So my generation paid higher taxes and uh, also reduced benefits. That took the form mainly of raising the retirement age. And I think something similar to that will have to take place in the future, and I think the decisions should be made by the generation of people that faces that problem. Uh, I don't see any reason for us to act now because of what might happen in 30 years. Right. Now, having said that, I am actually in favor of moving to a funded system, a funded system, uh, because I think the Social Security Trust Fund would be a really good vehicle for engineering a redistribution of wealth in this country, which we need. Thank you, Allison and Professor Michael. That was great. Very informative. Now I'm going to pass it over to our other co-host, John, for the second interview. Thank you, Michael. This is John the Phillips Curve. Hee <laughs> Back at you with another thrilling interview. Today, I'm elated to be interviewing our next guest of the day, Professor Cecil Bohannon from Ball State University. Professor Bohannon has a PhD from Virginia Polytechnic Institute and specializes in public policy. He recently wrote a paper on the future of Social Security titled Borrowed Time, Money Keeps Social Security Alive, in which he questions the flawed nature of our Social Security Fund. Thank you for joining us today, Professor. So, Professor, in your report, you referenced the 2018 annual report of the Board of Trustees for Social Security. Um, could you touch on your interpretations of this and sort of explain the results in your own words? I mean, every year they uh, give a new report, and uh, usually the news is bad, so I've gotten used to that, that the date mm -hmm. at which Social Security actually runs out of IOUs and will technically have to do something uh, keeps on approaching and becoming nearer, not just because of passage of time, but because that date gets to be uh, pushed back some. But the point that uh, Dr. Karat and I would make, and I think a lot of economists would make, is there's a sense in which that's artificial. We've already lost it with Social Security. Once it changed to actually taking in uh, less than what it paid out in terms of current taxes, the game was up. Uh, what in fact uh -huh. happens is Social Security redeems these, quote, so-called bonds, which uh, means the federal government gives it money, and also the federal government pays interest on the bonds. But what is Social Security but an entity of the federal government? So the net impact of Social Security on the budget is negative and has been for several years. So I think one of the more contentious and partisan debates is how to solve this um problem of the sustainability of Social Security. In terms of two of the commonly talked about solutions, um, including cutting benefits and raising the retirement age, uh, what are your thoughts on those solutions? Uh, people live longer now than they did when Social Security was instituted in 1937. In 1937, most people died by the time they were 65. They didn't get anything. Now we're living to 80, 85, so obviously there should be adjustment. I think you also have to go back to the spirit of what Franklin Roosevelt had, which was this was not meant to keep you out of poverty. It was to keep you out of destitution. And it was only meant to be a small supplement that everybody got. Uh, if you look at the data and you do some inflation adjustment on it, uh, the original Social Security tax 
was what, 1%, and it was only on the first, I think something like what would be equivalent to $30,000. And the payments were very small. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, and what do you think about raising the taxable earnings cap? Yeah, that's one, that, that's one solution. Of course, the obvious point is that for uh, anybody that's earning more than whatever the taxable earning cap constitutes, this is just a pure, unadulterated 15% increase in the marginal tax rate. Uh-huh. So if you don't think that's going to have something to do with incentives for people to uh, work and save and produce, uh, you need to think about that. That's not mm-hmm. something that's trivial. A lot of my uh, sort of Democratic liberal friends say, oh, that's the obvious answer. That will just solve it all. It's no big deal. But no, it is a big deal. Uh, a 15-point increase in the marginal tax rate, as any economist would tell you, likely has some kind of effect. And that's mm-hmm. not good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, John and Professor Cecil Bohannon, for that very informative interview on the future of Social Security. For our final guest of the episode, I will be interviewing Colgate's very own Professor Constantine Magan. Professor Magan has a PhD in economics from the University of California, Berkeley, and specializes in financial economics. In 2008, he published a paper on the potential for privatizing Social Security. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Professor. So the first question we have here for Professor Magan is, you know, in, in 2034, Social Security is projected to run out. Do you have any ideas on what the government can do to solve this problem in the long term? There are a number of ways how it could be how it could be solved. So one thing they could do, they could increase retirement age. So to make you to work longer for your retirement, right? It used to be 62 minimum retirement age, then it got a little strike 65. In Germany, it is 67, at least for males. Another way is to reduce benefits, to increase retirement age or to reduce benefits. But that could only help the system to last longer. It's not a, it's not a radical solution. So the radical solution is to stop using your retirement contributions, your social security tax, to pay somebody's sales benefits. But rather the idea is to, rather the idea is to let people to take these contributions that they're paying now as a social security tax and put the money into their own, I want to stress, their own retirement portfolio. And then let people to invest these retirement contributions the way they want to invest it. For example, I like large cap U.S. stocks. The problem is, of course, then market is going is doing well like it was doing over the course of last 200 years we are all for it the problem is what happens if you are saving for your retirement you are investing everything is going well and then we have something like what happens now when the market is for a week or so market is going down so the from its peak in september i think nasdaq went down easily 15% 15 and nobody knows where is the bottom. So the idea is that we should let people who build their retirement portfolios and invest their retirement contributions in risky assets to buy insurance on their portfolio in the form of your favorite put option. 
Great. Thank you, Professor. And you know, you mentioned that people would have the option to insure their portfolios through a put option, and you briefly touched upon this in one of your papers as well. Can you explain the role of moral hazard potentially becoming a problem if the insurance was publicly funded? Excellent question. Excellent question. Obviously, if you will be foolish enough to invest in Putin's Russia, there are mutual funds that do invest in Putin's Russia, or to invest in China, to put significant percentage of your money in China, that means that your sigma, sigma K, that standard deviation, one of the five parameters which determines the Black-Schultz price of the put option, because of that high sigma, the price of the put, i.e. your insurance premium, will be so high that it could become gradually cost prohibitive. So it will be the signal for you that you're investing in something which is terribly, terribly risky. And it's like you being a bad driver is not just unsafe for you and people around, but it's also costly. So if you are such a bad driver, your insurance premium will go up so much that you will have will not be able to afford it. So this is a clear when you have to, when you are taking a risk, and number one, know that government is not going to come to your rescue. There will because there will be no more social security system. We know it, right? Uh, when you know that there is no government that is coming to your rescue, and you know that insurance you are buying in your portfolio, retirement portfolio, is is so very expensive, it will be signaled to you that I need to reduce my risk because you are absolutely correct. Without those things, there is a moral hazard. There is a moral hazard now, right, that I don't have to, people are thinking they don't have to save for their retirement. They don't have, many people do not think about 403B, 401K, 457B, but they know, they don't think about their private pension because they naively think that their social security is going to be here for them. And they would think that, you know, we pay our six something percent taxes, just the social security tax, and surely it's gonna it's gonna translate into very significant social security check. But that's not true. It is true for people who are currently in retirement, but five, 10, 20 years, social security is not sustainable. So knowing that there is no government here to bail you out if you didn't save enough, knowing that you have to pay, if you have to pay, insurance premium for your retirement portfolio to insurance company that will sell you this put option, you know, will definitely serve as a deterrent against moral, moral hazard. Absolutely. Thank you, Professor Magan. Really interesting idea for the future of Social Security. Well, that wraps up our show today, folks. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. I want to say another thank you to our three special guests and for sharing their opinions with us. We were able to hear three very different opinions on the future of Social Security and the ramifications of potential long-term solutions for the future deficit of Social Security. We'll see you next week here on Econ 344.